This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning. It's Charlie speaking from home again. Um, Yeah, we're doing things a little different. Thank you to Carlos. Uh, I'm hooked up from my office in Prince Edward County via Skype. Skype feels like such old technology, but I guess it works. And uh, I am missing Frankie a lot, and I'm hoping he will be back very soon. But in the meantime, I'm going to try for the first time in 13-plus years to do this entire hour with you, my listeners, my callers, my friends, and and me. So let's uh, first off, I don't have anybody to give the phone numbers. It's my turn to actually give phone numbers. So if you're calling locally in the Toronto area, the number is 416-360-0740. If you're calling from outside the local calling GTA, it's 866-740-4740. And um, yeah, so it's it's a little different. It's also kind of a different day at my place. It has been so hot and so sunny and and still the air has been very, very still. I think I mentioned last Saturday when we had um, Stephen and Emma on the show that my well went dry, you know, the day before. So a week ago yesterday, because it's just been so dry where I live and I have to water. I have many trees and shrubs that I installed just last fall. So everybody out there who is struggling with drought Remember, you got to water your trees and shrubs, particularly if they've been planted in the last couple of years. So, you know, watering is super important. Of course, what do you do when you have a well? Well, you know, you have to choose, right? You can't, you can't uh, um, not water and lose the plants. So we did bring in the water truck and I have a feeling we'll be bringing it in again. However, rain is in the forecast. So that has a, I'm pretty excited. It's cloudy today. It is cooler. We're below 20 degrees for the first time in a long time. I think we're running about 19 right now here. Um, But um, I'm praying and crossing fingers and hoping that we will get some rain. We totally need rain. Um, Just a reminder, the Asian Court Garden Club uh, is having a Zoom meeting on September the 13th. That's at 7 p.m., The topic is water gardens from around the world. If you'd like to get involved with the Agent Court Garden Club, guests are always welcome. Give Cheryl, the president, a quick call and she'll hook you up with that Zoom meeting. 416-414-7704. And um, as well, uh, a little report this past week, last Sunday and Monday and Tuesday, myself and The TV crew from Zoomer Media were at the Evergreen Brickworks, which is quite the interesting, you know, agriculture in the city. It's in the Dawn, right in the bottom of the Dawn Valley there. The old, old industrial brickworks. It's pretty interesting. It's a real um, 
you know, it's all been, it's, it's planted thousands and thousands of trees and shrubs. They've reclaimed the quarry, made ponds. We saw turtles. We actually saw quite a bit of wildlife and had some fun with some kids that were attending a day camp there, uh, played around with them a bit and, yeah, met a number of the people who work there and learned a lot about their their vision for the future and and you know green sustainable future <clears throat> green cities is really kind of one of their one of their things. So I am will be happy to take your calls one more time. I'll just give you the numbers: four one six three six zero zero seven forty or eight six six seven four zero for 740. And for now, I think what we should do is we'll go to our first break, uh, listen to what some of our sponsors have to say. Actually, maybe I'll give you a report on my Stokes experience. I, I grew a lot of Stokes seeds this year. So if I get a minute, I'll give you a report on that. But in the meantime, let's go for uh, a quick uh, visit with our sponsors and we'll be right back. It looks like we've got Elizabeth on the phone and uh, see what's going on at her place. Back in a flash. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And we're here. I'm here in Prince Edward County in my office in front of my laptop. And I'm talking to you via Skype with the help of Carlos. So again, a big Big hug to Carlos, and uh, let's see what's going on with Elizabeth. Good morning, Elizabeth. Uh, good morning, Charlie. Uh, thank you very much for taking my call. This uh, question regards iris, my irises. Uh, I know, in listening to you previous, they don't like to be crowded. Um, mm. I have a large patch of different irises in an area, and I'm just wanting to know if they don't like being crowded, um, what type of plants can I plant with them or on them? Um, so this time of year, they don't look very pretty. And then I would have some flowers in that area. And could I also cut back the iris leaves now um, that I've seen uh, people do in other gardens? Okay, so this is a great question. The um, if you're like, when we talk about crowding with irises, we're really talking about irises being crowded with other irises, and that happens, right? When we first plant um, from a pot or from a friend, we've got just a, a nice plant growing and it flowers in the early summer, late spring, and the green leaves should be vertical, standing up, completely green, and and have their own ornamental value even at this time of year. But if you find they're all kind of tattered and brown and splotchy, it's time for you to dig up your irises and, um, you know, and they're not hard to dig up because they're so shallow rooted. But and now it's August is the best time. You get in there with a fork or a, or a spade, get under, lift them up. And I think you'll find that uh, some of them may be infested with an insect that's called an iris borer. So if you do have iris borer in your irises, that's when you will see those splotchy green leaves. And you'll know you've got iris borer because the iris um, rhizomes, which are, you know, the, the root part, will be soft and mushy and smell bad. Iris borers are, are nasty little creatures. They start out tiny, but they get very pretty big. And they also are pink at this time of year. So again, you can't miss them. So I would dig. I would separate. I would carefully check all the irises. If there's any evidence of holes or borers or mushiness, 
garbage. Everything that's firm and clean and in good condition, yes, you can cut. You typically we will cut back the leaves at this point because we've this whole process of lifting, cleaning up. We cut back the leaves. We replant and give every rhizome at least six inches between each one. You might end up giving some away to friends along the way or expanding them into other gardens. Now, if you say, "Well, but I want, I still want color there at, later in the summer." I'd think about some annuals. I would think about, you know, obviously you're in a sunny spot with irises. So I just think of what are some sunny, sun-loving annuals that you like. I mean, I'm having great success with zinnias this year. Um, Perfect year for zinnias. It's hot. It's dry. It's sunny. Um, Cosmos can be a nice one. Simple, you know, even petunia. So next spring, consider maybe planting uh, something in amongst the irises so that later that the, that whatever you plant in there will kind of uh, spread through. Um, that's what I would do, Elizabeth. But honestly, overcrowded irises are never happy irises. So if you can give them some space, they will be better plants, you know, healthier plants and better looking, you know, more of a, a real ornamental aspect to your garden. Ready? Out to the garden, I go to uh, pick up the audience right now. Right now, you get in there and start digging them up. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's wonderful you... answers. Appreciate it. Thanks for calling. Yeah, I have some. I just planted all my irises last fall when I when I you know planted my gardens, but I can see I've got some some overcrowding going on already. So that's going to be on my list pretty soon too. Uh, Sharon is an old friend, Sharon, or not so old, but our friend Sharon calling in from West Lorne. Good morning, Sharon. Good morning, Charlie. I haven't called you for a while. I just had to turn my radio off there. What I what I am wondering, and I it's just sort of a simple question. Mm. Um, last year I plant I uh, bought some. Fall mums in pots, um, two of them. Um, I've got a long bed. I planted one at one end and one at the other about mid-September, and I watered them well, and they bloomed well after that. This year, only one came up, and the other one didn't. It died or something happened to it. Um, and uh, But the stems are loaded, and, and it's huge now. Uh, the stems are loaded with buds, and I didn't get them... Um, pinched off like I, I heard one time that you said about pinching them off before the 15th of July or by the 15th of July mm-hmm. but I didn't get them but they're they're loaded with buds and I just wondered when it would be good I want to divide it and put another one at the other end of the bed and I wondered uh, what, what when I could divide it or when to divide it. Yeah, it's a good question, Sharon. Well, number one, you know you're not going to do any pruning to them because you would lose those flowers that are... No, no, in no, no. Uh, but, but you know what? When it comes to dividing mums, here's the rule of thumb. So mums are a good example of a fall-blooming perennial. So when we look at the season that something blooms in, then we, we transplant it in the opposite season, usually. So if you want to... Uh, divide and transplant and have that same mum at either end of the bed, do it next spring. Okay, and okay. Mums are a bit slow to come up in the spring, so you know, you got to kind of watch for them. You, you know, even put a little stake in if necessary just to know where to watch for. And that would be a good time. Dig, slice in half, and then back into the ground, the, the two different chunks. Yeah. Any dividing you try and do now is way too hard on the plant. Plus, it, you risk losing the flowers. Yeah, well, that's what I, that's what I figured in the spring because I, I have other ones than that, too, that I transplant 
well, um, Iris, you were just talking about Iris, and, and I, it's, uh, it, transplant them in the spring, and then they come up sort of in the fall, or, and I don't know. But anyway, yeah. um, yeah, well, that's fine then. Um, that's all I wanted to know. How are you standing the heat? <laughs> Today is a nice day. Not Today bad so far, but it's supposed to get up to 38 or something again, so I don't know. Anyway, you'll see me complaining because it's, it's cold and snowy. Anyway, thank you very much for your information, and um, we'll talk again sometime. Please, thanks. Thanks for calling. Yes, the uh, it's funny. I mean, it's it's a cool gray day at my house, but you're right. The forecast is saying something crazy, like 26 degrees, and feeling like I don't know 36 degrees. So we obviously have quite a bit of humidity coming. But I just hope some water falls with all that humidity. I'm just parched here. My my lawn is completely golden, um, but I think it will wake up. It just needs some water. <laughs> All right. It looks like it's time for our second break to, to listen to some of our sponsors and for me to go get a glass of water. So <laughs> I'll be I'll be here in mere minutes, not going anywhere very far and uh, back in a flash right after this. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All right, here we are. Back on the garden show, ready to talk, listen to you and speak with you and learn what's going on. I, I see we have a couple of first time callers coming up and I don't have the bell. Frankie, Frankie, where are you with that bell? So I'm going to have to come up with something, some way to, to welcome our first time callers because we always like to make a fuss when somebody actually calls in for the first time. But for now, it appears that Grace is on the line giving us a call from Mississauga. Good morning, Grace. Good morning. I would like to know a bit more about milkweed. Mm-hmm. I saw your garden on TV, and you do have milkweed, but mine doesn't look like that. Mine are very tall, and everything is green, the stem, the leaves, the pods. But okay. I don't know what I'm I didn't plant it. No, that's true. Either did I. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like... Uh, who's is it for the butterflies or who is it for yeah it is um the reason it's funny with a name like milkweed you know that it's been treated as a weed forever and ever and ever it feels since you know kind of agriculture took over southern ontario and the forests were cleared and, and crops were planted milkweed was a weed and it is not something that i believe horses and cattle are should be eating because it, i believe it might be poisonous to them so again it was eradicated where possible oh. however then it was discovered that milkweed, um, the, the, it's like um, oval, greenish gray leaves, dull, like a matte finish. They're not shiny at all. They grow straight and tall. They will get a flower on top that will be a pale pink flower. And after that, they will produce fruit, which are these, they almost look like little cucumbers. And then they burst open and the little seeds pop out and blow around. And that's where your milkweed came from. Somebody's... Oh. Your neighborhood had some growing last year and a seed blew in. 
But what's important about milkweed and the reason why it's come, it's so stylish and trendy to have milkweed now and not uh, destroy it is that monarch butterflies, which we love, yeah. monarch butterflies are are will only eat milkweed when they're little tiny caterpillars. That's their only food that they eat. So the the adult monarch butterflies lay their eggs on the milkweed. When the eggs hatch, the little caterpillars chew all the leaves on the milkweed. So that's why when you do grow milkweed in your garden and you see holes in the leaves, you say, oh, that's good. There's a monarch butterfly uh, caterpillar on there somewhere. Right. So you can look around, you can usually find it. And the idea is just let it chew, let it do its thing. It will turn into a, a beautiful butterfly eventually. The whole process takes a few weeks. But that's why we grow milkweed. Okay, so at what point do, because last year I dug them all up and threw them out. Okay. And I'm like, okay, mine don't bloom. They don't do anything. They just are this yeah. big green thing with pods that never open. Like I never get a flower on it. Uh, well, when you say pods, there must have been a flower for their, like the pod is a fruit. The pods are up at the top of the plant? No, they're at the top along like, you can go down the stem also. Okay. I don't, like, so, my whole thing is, is, do I leave them and, say, in late September, October, dig them up and throw them out? And I'm mm-hmm. sure, because they, they're just not just in my garden. They're yeah. on the lawn, the side right. piece uh, of, at my house. Well, okay, so always remember, you are in charge. You are the master. So I don't blame you. I don't want milkweed growing in my lawn either. So early in the spring, when you start to see something like that coming up, because it's a very distinctive plant. It's Like I say, the the leaves are not a bright, you know, Kelly green. They're much more of a gray green, uh, very distinctive. When you see them, uh, milkweed coming up in, in parts of your garden where you do not want milkweed, get rid of it. But if you have a big enough garden and you're willing to provide some space to milkweed, then let one or two grow or three or four, depending on the size of your gardens. And and then just be prepared to let that grow through to the end of the season. And you're right. In October, you can dig it up. Okay, great. Thank you very much for the information. You're very welcome. Yeah, the the reason why you can dig it up in October, of course, is that the monarchs, monarchs uh, do fly south before winter so they all kind of congregate a lot of them congregate right here where i live in prince edward county i was speaking to somebody the other day and she's her her garden her yard is right on the south shore facing you know down to um new york state and uh and she said it's pretty amazing she's had some falls where all these monarchs congregate in her yard so you know thousands and thousands of butterflies and they all are waiting for just the perfect wind to be blowing in the perfect direction. And once that moment happens, you know, and it's a collection of butterflies that takes days for them to congregate. Suddenly the weather is right. The wind is right. Everything's perfect. They all take flight and fly together across Lake Ontario, heading south down to Mexico. So pretty magical to see something like that. And I remember Frank told the story of being on the ferry in Lake Champlain, uh, same thing, where the, the monarchs were, were moving as a group and they were, went right through and around the ferry that he was on. So yeah, pretty magical. And, and we, we want to support the monarchs because of the, the population numbers have dropped so dramatically in the last few years. 
and partially it's loss of habitat here in North America, North uh, North America, and also down Mexico. So anything we can do to make make the lives of the creatures around us better, I think, is a good thing. And diversity and biodiversity is a real a really important thing to keep in mind as well. So we want to have things as mixed up as we can. We we avoid monoculture whenever we can, and we do everything in our power to mix up and have different plants, different insects, different animals, all kinds of, uh, you know, like creatures, Let you know, support the creatures, even that crazy little frog that's living in my barbecue. I'm supporting that little tree frog who comes out at night to eat bugs and then pops back into the barbecue all day and, and just sits there and watches me through a little hole in the, in the, uh, the top of the barbecue. It's very funny. Um, my friend, the tree frog, actually, I, I was watering some of my trees and found a tree frog in the tree. I was very excited just yesterday. It was like, yes, a frog that knows where it's supposed to live as opposed to a barbecue frog. <laughs> so, um, okie doke. Let's see. We have also on the line, ready to speak with us, a first-time caller. Louise is calling from Toronto. And Louise, I wish I had a bell. So ding, 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 ding. Good morning, Louise. Hi, Charlie. It's Louis, actually. Oh, Louis. Oh, maybe yeah. I'm, re- oh, I'm reading wrong, probably. It's very small oh, no, font. No problem at Welcome. all. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Lewis. Thank you so much. How are you today? I'm excellent. How are you? Good, good. And I hope Frank's doing well uh, as well. Yeah, I think so. So what's my going question on in is, the garden? Go ahead. I'm saying, what's going on in your garden? So uh, the question is for me is, I have a big pot of herbs uh, on my balcony. Mm-hmm. And my question is, when I bring it inside now for the fall and winter, do uh, the herbs are oregano, thyme, and rosemary? Uh, do I need to cut them back so they're shorter? And the other part is, how do I avoid uh, bringing like insects into the place as well? How how, about, how do I approach that? Hmm. So this is one big pot. Yes. So. <clears throat> hmm. And if you so, what direction does your balcony face? Uh, faces the north. North. Okay. So when you bring it into your apartment, it will be in a in a room facing north. Yeah. So it's right. not no sunlight. I would not get much sunlight, but I would you know, it would be uh near a window, so it would get window light. You know what I would do? I right like today, I would do a plan A and a plan B. So plan okay. A would be that you will um give that pot of plant of herbs um pot of herbs and thorough wash and that's with some soap some water some some uh, water to wash off the soap and water uh, if you can out on your balcony and then okay. let it dry out and bring it into your home in the next two weeks say two to three weeks but okay. plan b i would take some cuttings I would take cuttings of all of those plants, oregano, thyme, and rosemary. So when you take cuttings, you get your sharp scissors out, and you're going to take tip cuttings, three to four-inch tip cuttings. Um, Take as many as you want. You could take six or eight cuttings from each of the different plants. Right. Then you'll remove the lower leaves from the lower inch of that four-inch cutting. Okay. And you can literally put any of those plants just into – a, a jar with some water, make sure uh-huh. that you've got the, the bottom inch 
under the water and okay. roots will grow from those cuttings. And then oh. once you've got a little bit of root action, you can plant up the what will be small oregano, small thyme and small rosemary plants into small pots, have them right on your window ledge, uh, northern window uh, ledge where the light is going to be brighter than down on the ground in a big pot. Right. Because what worries me about that big pot is that the, all those herbs are sun-loving plants, and it's just right. it's just going to be a lot lower light levels inside than it is even out on your balcony, um, yeah. particularly in the winter. Or I guess even Plan C would be to get a grow light and oh, okay. the, I have that. that big. Yeah, put that big pot anywhere you want, but make sure that you've got that grow light on about 16 hours a day, uh, uh, at least a couple of feet above the pot. Uh, you yeah. shouldn't have to do a lot of cutting back if you are able to give sufficient light to that plant. Uh, right. If you start to see some dieback, just trim out anything that starts to look a little unsightly or even now, you know, always keep things clean and tidy. Plants do like to be groomed. They like to look good. Right. So I could still continue to use the herbs, I guess, during the winter from the pot or? For sure. Yeah, for so, sure. You know, I could yeah, yeah. I um, you definitely should. Um, that's yeah. that's why we do it. That's why we bring them in. Eh? The, the yeah. fresh herbs. You've got that taste of summer, and you know that that when you take little cuttings to use in your in your dinner, nothing's going to really grow back quickly through the fall and early winter because light levels are just yeah. so low. But by February, you'll start to see all kinds of new growth. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Thank okay. you so much. Hey, thanks for calling. Don't be a stranger. <laughs> and that was Lewis and Carlos. Thank you. I realized I I jumped over, and I'm so sorry. I jumped over Catherine, who is on the line from Etobicoke. Uh, if we can give a chat with uh, Catherine, that would be brilliant. Can we do that? Yes, we can. Good morning, Catherine. Hi. This is my first time, and I live in Etobicoke. My question Hi. is about about wisteria. I have okay. a uh, purple wisteria on my back gate, and I have a black wisteria on the dividing between me and the house next door. And neither wisteria mm -hmm. has bloomed. One has been in my at the back gate for over twelve years, and the other one over seven. <laughs> wow! And you planted all of these? Yes, and hmm. I got them from Plant World. And they assured me that, oh, yes, all you have to do is cut them right down to the quick um, in the fall. And I've done that every year. And they flush out beautifully, create lots of green leaves, but they never flower. Huh. They never. And, and you know, that is true. The, we always say that it's a minimum of seven years to, uh, to uh -huh. for wisteria to bloom. So were they, and the other thing we often say is if you can possibly buy wisteria with blooms on it, then you I know it's of blooming age, right? There's that kind of maturity thing. So you were told yeah, cut them down to the quick every spring and that's, that's what you've been doing, right? Yeah. 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 And, and um, I was just wondering if there's any kind of fertilizer that would, um, bring the blooms out. Well, I mean, you, they are in full sun, I assume. Yes. And they, you do, uh, the soil was a reason, reasonably good soil, uh, and you do obviously water as required. Lots, yes. Mm -hmm. And do you fertilize at all now? I don't fertilize it with Terry because I didn't know exactly what kind of um, fertilizer to use, but I fertilize all the, I fertilize all the rest of my, my garden. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
every plant can really, really benefit from a top dressing with a good quality compost in the spring, including your wisteria, because that's that idea of feeding the soil. You know, the mm-hmm. soil eventually becomes depleted when the plants are there and there's not a lot of uh, organic matter being added. So one of our jobs is to add organic matter to the soil, you know, about a half an inch to an inch every year, just, uh-huh. just to replenish what's constantly decomposing. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, the other important thing with wisteria is we nev- we always make sure we plant them near a structure that is extremely sturdy because yeah. wisteria are very, very fast growing and can get very, very large and very, very heavy. Um, I'm just trying to, in Ontario, we typically uh, will do more than one pruning. So you're right about the spring. Um, I'm just double checking here. Uh, bone meal is something that's often recommended for wisteria, though I don't think we would need to do that necessarily. Here in Ontario, we tend to have fairly high phosphorus, sort like naturally occurring lots of phosphorus in our soil. But um, so watering, if you haven't um, received at least one inch of rain every single week, we water about an inch of water. So pruning. So here's here's kind of a there's so many kind of times that we do our pruning on our wisteria. So prune in late winter, remove at least half of the prior year's growth, leaving just a few buds per stem. So late winter, so that would be like February or March. Um, you can also prune for um, formality, for very specific growth habit. But bottom line is we get that, that's that spring pruning you were talking about. Then as the spring goes on, there is more pruning that we'll often do in the summer because that will be after it flowers because it should be flowering in about June. So by July or early August, we are um, often pruning again just because it is such a, a crazy plant. <laughs> and again, mm-hmm. it's that whatever new growth. So first is that spring pruning. Then there's the flush out of leaves. Hopefully there's a flush out of flowers. And then after that, it's about a, a, all that new growth is cut back by about a half. And fertilizer, just avoid nitrogen because nitrogen is like the first number in any fertilizer. And that is going to lead to a lot of green growth. Is mm-hmm. The wisteria aren't perhaps getting hit by any lawn fertilizer are they no 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 there's no lawn near them no okay um so then there's some the growers have some kind of magical ways to try and shock plants like wisteria into flowering one is by taking your shovel your nice sharp shovel and driving it into the ground about about eight or ten inches into the ground about a foot and a half away from the wisteria's main trunk and by doing that you'll be slicing some roots and when we slice roots we often will find that the plant will start to bloom oh okay yeah Mm-hmm. And I know so and it, you don't worry about doing root damage because this is usually such a vigorous plant. A little bit of root damage can be a good thing, actually. Um, the other thing is I, uh, people will take a newspaper, a rolled up newspaper or a magazine, and then they'll beat the stem of the plant. There's a crazy oh. one right there. Oh. Yep, yep. You just beat it, you know, just bang away at it. You don't want to crack the bark. You don't want to hurt it. I mean, my friend Colin Campbell, the apple grower who lives not far from me here, he talks about getting out cha- Like they used to use chains and they would beat the apple trees with chains to get them to flower. So there's, they, we do these kind of things to stress the plant and flowering often is what how the plant responds. Oh, okay. 
I'll but don't that. use cheese. I will, I will try that. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, root pruning, try some newspaper beading um, and do the, the severe pruning, as we mentioned. Try that compost. I wouldn't be overly concerned about giving a lot of fertilizer. And of course, where you are, it shouldn't be a problem in terms of um, the cold winters. So really, really cold winters can uh, affect blooming on wisteria, but certainly last year wasn't that cold. So, uh, Okay, well, thank you very much. Here's a few tips to try. Thanks for calling. <laughs> Don't be a stranger, as we always say, Frank and I. Call in any time. That's two first-time callers in a row. We have to take a quick little break from me to listen to some other voices, and we'll be right back in mere minutes. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. That's right. This is The Garden Show, and we look like we've got lots of people out in the garden or got lots of people with good questions about being out in the garden. So back to our phone lines, we've got Shelley calling from St. Catharines. Good morning, Shelley. Good morning. I enjoy your show. I learned so many things thanks to your wonderful listeners who ask these intriguing questions. Exactly. <laughs> My question for you today, Charlie, is regarding um, Asiatic lilies. Mm-hmm. Mine have all bloomed. They were absolutely stunning this year. They must nice. have loved the weather. Yeah. Now, what do I do with the tall stems that I have that the flowers were on? When do I cut them down? Well, remember how it works with, with any of the bulb plants. The green leaves, green stems need to be left in place so that the bulb will fatten up and get just that much bigger and juicier and not to mention perhaps even propagate more bulbs underground for next year. So we always, once the flowers are done, we'll typically take the top, you know, it's not very pretty, you know, all the petals fall, and then we just nip off the top little bit of flower that is there, but leave those stems and leaves as long as they're green. Well, you know, I thought it might be that way, and I have left them, mm-hmm. so I didn't know whether I did the right thing or whether I had to wait for a frost, or whether oh. so I just basically I wait for the leaves to fall off and then I can cut it down. Yeah, eventually I find that the lilies, if the, particularly if we have an extended fall, the, the lily stems and leaves will start to turn yellow. And they'll basically just shrivel up and dis, like, disappear if you don't cut them away. So just from an ornamental perspective, when they start to look unsightly, you can cut them down at ground level and compost. But as long as they're green, let them be green because all of our bulbs are just that much better than next year if we leave the foliage in place after the flowers to just have that much more bulb for that many more flowers next year. Okay. Well, I have one. I have them in pots because I may be moving okay. and I want to take them with me. Good and idea. They looked fabulous in the pots. <laughs> I bet. One, one pot, the leaves are turning yellow and falling. The other yeah. pot is still beautifully green and looks gorgeous. Well, there you go. So, yeah. you know, just follow the lead. The plant will lead you on that so that as the uh, and once the yellow, they're completely yellow and you're cutting them off. Make sure you've got little tags in your pot so you know what's what when yeah. you go to, to plant them in your new location. Right. Excellent. Okay. Thank you okay. so very much. 
Thanks for calling. That's great. I just wish I'd had the foresight to get more plants in pots back at my old house in Richmond Hill before I moved here. I did bring about 40 pots, but I left behind so many great plants that um, I miss. Anyway, I have to go to Richmond Hill to visit them, I guess. <laughs> we did have a visit, speaking of Richmond Hill, uh, neighbors from the old the old homestead uh, swung through the county the other day and came in and, and shared a beer with us and gave us an update on, on the old hood. So that was kind of fun. Nice to stay in touch with uh, people from the last house as we're settling into the, the new house and making new friends here in the county. Uh, we've got Diane giving us a call from New Hamburg. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? Excellent. How are you? Good. I'm fine, thank you. I have a, a problem with my raspberries. There's, they've started uh, this week, the fall raspberry. Mm-hmm. And they got like a black spot on them and it looks moldy. Uh, on the fruit or on the... On the, um, on the fruit. Black spots on your raspberries. You know what? It's been so, um, so humid, I'm not surprised. It, it probably is mold. I'm just double-checking here, raspberry disease. Because um, it's, uh, okay, tarnished. Uh, sorry, I'm taking a second here because I just want to be absolutely clear. Mm-hmm. Uh, black spots. Because there are cane, there's a number of diseases that get onto the canes, but you... You're thinking that it's more specifically on the raspberries. Yeah, the canes look fine. They're healthy, the leaves, and, and they're taller than I am. They're very tall plants. Yeah, yeah. What about insects? No, those black spots are definitely not uh, insects? No, hmm. it's on the berry, and, and uh, it, it's black, and um, yeah, and then it turns moldy. Okay, so I'll tell you what, we we need to go for our final commercial break. And while we're listening to some of our sponsors, let I'll get you to hang up and then I will answer when we come back from the break. How's that? Just so I don't. Uh, it wouldn't be from, from the Japanese beetle. Would they be putting something on them or? No, I wouldn't think so. No. Uh, did you do you see damage on from the where the leaves? Well, yeah, shed? we we've been catching them. Like we had a traps out, and we must have caught hundreds of them. Oh, shoot, yeah. <laughs> For the That's last one of the reasons. Yeah, the Japanese beetle traps do work, but they work so well that you end up. With instead of having you know a hundred Japanese beetles on your property, you end up with a thousand because you yeah. attract them to the property. <laughs> I always say wouldn't be get from a Japanese. them. You don't think the more the black spots? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's from the Japanese beetles, but I'll, I'll double check. So you keep listening. When we get okay. back from this next commercial break, I'll do my best to fill in what I think is going on there. Thank you very much. Uh, Diane and like I said we will have to we're just going to be gone for a couple more couple minutes listen to some sponsors while I do some research on Diane's black spots on her raspberries and maybe somebody out there even has a suggestion so I will give my email address before we finish up in the next few minutes back in a flash this is Zoomer Radio Toronto. CFZM FM and CFZM AM owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated 
Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Okay, so I just spent the last couple minutes doing some quick research to see if I could figure out what's going on with Diane's raspberries that have black spots on the fruit. Um, We may need to wait till next week. And if anybody out there has a clue, uh, maybe my friend Sean James, who I think is listening to this show, will have an idea. Like I'm seeing white spots on raspberry fruit, and that's actually due to sunscald. So sunscald, you know, meaning that they've just had too much sun. Um, There are many, many diseases uh, uh, of raspberries, but typically they're more on the the canes rather than on the fruit. But yeah, I'm seeing these white spots, which is kind of interesting. But anyway, maybe more on that to come. Uh, I will certainly scribble myself a note and come back with that. Remember, you can always email me c.dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. Com. Now, Jean is on the line, giving us a call from Mississauga. Good morning, Jean. Good morning. What's going I on at your place? I have a question about tomato plants. Mm-hmm. So I planted beefsteak, Roma, and Better Boy, and they in raised garden beds, mm-hmm. and they were very prolific in the early stages. I had to go away for a week towards the end of July and I think they kind of didn't get enough water so I have some tomatoes that are growing and I've been very conscientious about watering them not too much or you know giving them the best amount of water evenly but the blooms that are still coming out on them I might only get one tomato in the cluster and the others are turning brown Oh. Is it too hot or? Well, tomatoes like the heat, but you're right. Inconsistent watering, like, for example, if they did really suffer from dry drought conditions in early July, uh, as you said, you went away in July. And July is when we did get some rain where I live. It's August. It's been so incredibly dry. Um, the but if but when vegetables do suffer from inconsistent watering, it does affect their ability to to really be, um, you know, well, sort of healthy plants. It, it, even it, a month later. Yeah, even a month later. So what I would do is two things. In the beds, they're in. How high are these raised beds? Are they like a couple of feet above ground, or only a few inches, or what? Uh, they're a couple of feet on posts. Oh, even more so. Right. So when we plant into raised beds, unlike the ground, it's almost like planting into pots because we've got that evaporation of moisture happening not only from the surface of the soil, but also from the sides of the raised beds. And in the case of yours, even from the bottom of the raised beds, you've got that all around evaporation of moisture from the, from the entire planting vessel. So it, like I said, it's, it's literally almost like being in pots. So, I mean, as an example, I have tomatoes in 20-gallon pots. I water them every single day, and they get about, believe it or not, anywhere between 
two to five gallons of water every single day. They're in a very hot Southern exposure. And, you know, I've been able to do that all summer because I haven't really either I've done it or my husband's done it. And it's they've, they've been great. But I, it could be just going back that, that that's what's happened. So dig down, go down with your, a trowel or whatever your tools are. Go down an inch or two into your raised bed. Check whether there's moisture below the surface. It might look dry on the surface, but if it's moist below, you're right. You don't need to be doing any major watering. But if it's dry down an inch, down an inch and a half, down two inches, you need to do some real thorough watering. And I'm assuming that this up on posts raised planter has drainage holes, right? Yes. And it's got fabric on the on the base to okay, hold the good. dirt so it doesn't all go through. Yeah, that's good. All right. Yeah. And I mean, what I, sometimes what I do is I water until the water comes through the drainage holes. And then, then I know I've thoroughly saturated the soil. And did you, did you fill the entire um, planter with pl- like potting soil or did you use a mix of other soils or what did you do? Yeah, a mix of soil. But I, I listened to your program last weekend and mm-hmm. uh, and read something that to mix it, not necessarily with potting soil, but to maybe half and half with garden soil. Right, but okay. potting so soil and soil settles. Right, but you you use some potting soil, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like a, a container mix, about half that mix with yeah garden soil, a good quality. Remember, tomatoes are what we call heavy feeders, so we have to give lots of fertilizer to them. So the other option I would say, even now, even though it is the end of August, there's no frost coming anytime soon. Crank out some fertilizer on them. Actually, I did that the other night. I went and bought some. Okay, yeah. So use some of that now. Of course, we don't fertilize any of our perennial plants, but it's at this time of year, but it's certainly A-OK to get some fertilizer onto those tomatoes, and that might just force some flowering. So those blooms were drying up, but I also, the tomatoes that were growing on the Roma Roma plants have got black rot on the bottom, even at... Okay, good garden hygiene. Jean, i got to let you go. I've got mere seconds left, and uh, there's another show after this one, so they'll be slapping me from 200 kilometers away. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks to the great callers. See you all again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.